From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regularly scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business. This will help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for us all. Today, I'm talking with Robert Furnace-Rowe, one of the founders of Samson and Surrey. Robert, thank you so much for joining me. Adam, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. So before we you know, get into what it is we're here to talk about today, can you tell me a little bit about Samson and Surrey for, for listeners who are unfamiliar with it? Sure, with pleasure. Um, Samson and Surrey is a, is a company I started with uh, another colleague of mine, Juan Rivera, uh, nearly four years ago. And basically, in a nutshell, we wanted to bring together some of the most beautiful artisanal brands in the country and indeed in the world and make them famous. That's probably the easiest way of explaining what we do. We think there's a lot of exciting things happening outside of the, the main brands, the big brands, which is a universe that I used to inhabit. Uh, and a lot of them needed a platform, uh, a solid sales, marketing, and a physical presence uh, in the market that you couldn't get by yourself. So we've become a, a collective in, in many senses. One of the many things that makes us unique is that we work with the brand founders. They are still very much part of the company, still shareholders. Okay. Uh, still stakeholders and still actively running their businesses because we think one of the most important things that makes artisanal or craft brands different and brands interesting in this day and age is the human aspect and the human creativity that real people bring rather than, dare I say, faceless corporations. I suppose I shouldn't say that, but uh, (laughs) we believe very much in the human touch, the human touch in terms of how brands come together, what the emotional content is, how they're made, what kind of creativity goes into the liquids. And so all of the founders behind the brands are with us uh, and very much part of the business. Fantastic. So, I mean, you you happen to have some of my favorite brands as we were, we were chatting out before we started uh, the podcast. I'm a huge fan of Blue Coat. Um, I think, I don't know, I discovered that brand a long time ago when I was in Philadelphia visiting my brother-in-law. And now it's it's probably my go-to for for most of my gin cocktails. So thank you for that. So you are you're a, a craft company, right? So you have a lot of craft brands, which I think correct me if I'm wrong, would mean that a lot of your initial sales or the ways people probably first dis- discover you is on-premise as opposed to off. Is that fair to say? Yes. Um, I think, you know, the craft word has been used and abused um, uh, over the past few years. I think what we have at the end of the day are interesting brands with high potential in the future because they're brands that resonate with people. And the way that you get them to res- resonate with people is to be on people's radars and the way to get onto people's radars is primarily still through the on-premise and our friends and partners up and down the country and abroad that you know bring great cocktails and bring bring great knowledge and expertise and great serving suggestions to consumers every day until of course uh, the, the last month but before that every day you know there's a lot of people on our side who believe in the liquids and believe in what we're doing so it's a very important vehicle for us so with that in mind obviously the last month has been very challenging last 6 weeks um, you've seen lots of brands across the country pivot and and really try to focus on off-premise. What has happened in your world? Um, what changes have you had to implement? And what has that done to a lot of your brands? I mean, I think like everyone, we've seen the, the, the pivot to the off-premise, but we always say that it's really important not to forget how we got here, which is the on-premise, and that the on-premise will come back. Uh, the, the, the road ahead will be bumpy. It's not going to be linear. Um, I'm afraid it will be up and down. We know, sadly, that we will reopenings in terms of bars and restaurants. There'll be less there than there were a month and a half ago. You know, there's going to be some attrition, which is, which is really sad. 
Um, but I believe that, you know, people that work in the hospitality industry, at least my friends that work in the bar industry, are a pretty resilient bunch and they're a pretty resourceful bunch. So I think that even if they have short-term setbacks, uh, you have to be passionate and slightly crazy to work in the on-premise. And I think a lot of passionate, slightly crazy people will find a way back in, will create new dreams, new adventures, new accounts, as well as reviving some of, some of the old ones. So I think it will come back and come back with a vengeance. In the meanwhile, you know, we've been doing what a lot of people have been doing. We've been uh, supporting the on-premise uh, through organizations like the USBG. Um, that, that's been an important part of what we've been doing. We've also been working uh, flat out to produce hand sanitizer of a lot of people in several of our facilities. And we've made an awful lot of that over the last month. Um, and we're also just keeping the human contact. You know, we're not here to sell anymore to a lot of on-premise accounts. We're just here to, to talk to people who've become friends and acquaintances over the years and try and help them, uh, offer them, you know, meals and uh, movie tickets and some other nice programs that we've run just to help people have a bit of entertainment and get through this and know that there are people there that are thinking of them um, and, you know, wishing them to get through what is for a lot of people a very traumatic experience. Absolutely. So in terms of obviously your, you as a business with only one sales channel, what have you done to pivot to the off-premise? Are, are there, are there different strategies you've taken? Um, are there ways, as you said, obviously, with a lot of these brands, one of the key ways that people discover them is an on-premise being used in a cocktail, et cetera. Now you don't really have that. Now you just have a bottle of uh, you know, blue coat on a shelf amongst a bunch of other gins. What are you doing to try to stand out? Well, the on-premise isn't dead. So, I mean, I think the first thing is a kind of broad broad uh, observation, which is that there are an awful lot of people associated with the on-premise who work in the on-premise a lot of influencers out there, people who are extremely well connected. And so we work with the with the community that's still out there to continue to talk about our brands. And in a broader sense, we've done a lot of work in education. We, we have an awful lot of material out there that we've created. Uh, we created our own TV channel called Samson and Surrey TV, which is on Facebook and Instagram, and, um, YouTube, um, amongst other places. And that's been putting out content every day. Uh, without fail, uh, which is quite something for a company that's as small as we are. Uh, and that's been putting out content on everything from, you know, how agave plants grow to uh, the different techniques of whiskey aging to, you know, what the difference between uh, mezcal and uh, tequila is and um, all points in between. So we've done a lot in terms of education, leveraging the existing networks and, and getting hold of uh, you know, as many consumers as we can to keep them entertained. I think the second thing is, uh, just being creative and adaptable. You know, there's a lot happening in e-commerce and there's sort of direct e-commerce, which is uh, the providers that we, that we all know and have read about that have seen a big upsurge in business, making sure that we're present there and that we are accurately reflected and listed. But that we found a lot of opportunities out there uh, with things like whiskey clubs, um, bourbon clubs, um, organizations that um, have a lot of passionate consumers who actually, in some instances, have just bought uh, large amounts of, of product uh, through our uh, partners. And then we've done online seminars with them, online tastings, evenings with our brand founders. So we found other ways um, to, to, to get the liquid to, to people and to get the education to people. And then in the off-premise itself, of course, you know, it's been all hands on deck. So, I mean, there's been an upsurge. A lot of our team have been out there where possible helping to stock shelves, helping to talk about formats, 
um, and different presentations that help people, um, uh, cocktail ideas, simple cocktail ideas in store, nothing too complicated or cluttered that people can't get their heads around, but just what's something simple you can do to entertain yourself at home with, you know, two or three products that you can buy easily and making sure that that kind of knowledge is available with our, with our off-premise partners. And now speaking of these, these tastings, right, they sound interesting, but how are people finding out about them? So it, did, did the clubs come to you? Are you going to the clubs? Are the clubs figuring it out through a retailer they may, they may know? Or are they people that already knew the brand before? I can answer all of the above. That's probably the easiest way. Yes. <laughs> Um, we have a lot of our, we, we have a lot of um, partnerships already with various uh, clubs, um, and a lot of them have come to us um, looking for things to do to educate and entertain their members. Uh, they can't get together physically, so they're organising virtual meetings. We've obviously approached a lot of uh, a lot of people as well and said, you know, these are the things that we can we can do. Uh, I think the beauty of being small and nimble in our case is we can we can act quickly. Uh, we don't have a bureaucracy internally. We can give people what they're looking for. So, you know, do you want a two and a half hour nerd out about wild agave and the difference of altitude on fermentation? Or do you just want to kind of understand the broad groupings in world whiskey or anything in between those two points? So we can adapt what we're doing very clearly to people's needs. Uh, and we have, uh, as I said earlier, a wealth of, of real human beings uh, behind all of our brands, people that speak with knowledge and passion. Uh, people like Paul Hetko, who founded Few, and Alison Park, who founded Brand, and Tomas Estes, who founded uh, Ocho with Carlos Camarena in Mexico, and Judah Cooper and Dylan Sloan, who founded Vargo, Andrew Werder, who's a gentleman behind your favorite, Blue Coat. Uh, they all have just a wealth of knowledge, both in the category in general and, of course, about the brand stories in particular. And so we're able to bring them into conversations as well and make sort of intimate, well, not so intimate, sometimes uh, soirees on Zoom with 50 or 100 people, right. sometimes more, uh, and just have a really fun interaction. And, you know, when we've got the logistics organized well, people will have a bottle in, uh, in their home and they're able to, to taste and, and follow along uh, live at home. So what do you think, you know, you're, you're doing all this now, you're starting to lay the groundwork for people who are, who are learning more about the brands. What do you think the future is going to look like in the next three to six months to a year. Have you started to think about that and how this could impact uh, the world of drinks and your brand specifically? I mean, I, I think it's, 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 there's a number of cliches you could chuck at this, right? It's, it's, it's going to be uncertain. Uh, it's going to be, there isn't going to be a linear recovery. Uh, so we all have to be prepared for that part, which means fastening your seatbelts. Um, I think we're going to be surprised in, 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 in ways that we're not expecting to be surprised. I think there is a lot of pent-up demand out there, um, even though people are very understandably cautious right now. But there is a cork in a bottle and the bottle is fizzing. And I think when people feel it's safe, we're going to see a real uh, upsurge. Um, and that will vary by state. So some states are going to be two or three months ahead of other states. So we're going to have to live in a world where we are not a United States in, the, in terms of recovery, but it's going to be on a state-by-state, city-by-city basis and kind of make allowances for that. I, I think we're going to be surprised to see that, um, you know, there's going to be uh, new habits that will begin to take. Um, there's going to be some portion of consumption that's transferred to, to home. I think the, the, the sort of mix between uh, the restaurant and the bar industry will be interesting. People might feel slightly safer in a restaurant environment with more spacing. And slightly less safe in a bar if you're really crushed up. So 
who comes out of this and in what format, I think there could be some, some interesting developments there. Um, and I think that, you know, altogether, um, the one good thing about all of this is that people, uh, at least anyone that's interested in the industry, has spent their time profitably over the past um, two or three months. So I can't tell you how many new people we've come across, even under lockdown uh, as a business. Um, we've been overwhelmed in places where we've been able to direct ship to consumers like in Pennsylvania. We've been overwhelmed with demand. Uh, and it's not just existing Blue Coat fans. There's a lot of people there that didn't know Blue Coat before, uh, for example, uh, literally thousands of people. So I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the long term. You know, we've lived through recessions before. I've unfortunately lived through several of them. Um, so I think I kind of vaguely, vaguely understand the shape of this. But I think people will go back over time to experimenting and enjoying premium uh, spirits. Um, I don't think that trend is going to go away. I don't think anyone thinks that trend is going to go away. It's just a question of how we hang on in there in the short term to get back to uh, this this new future. So last question, a little bit of a controversial one, but I'm hoping you'll answer it. So everything you read says that we're going to go into a recession, whether you're living in you know the Mark Brown newsletter or you're reading coverage on uh, the Times, Wall Street Journal, even some of the stuff we've reported. And then you you start hearing some of these experts, and you've been in the industry for a really long time. So I'd love to get what you think here. And everyone says when when Americans go into a recession, the brands that suffer are the craft brands, and that everyone returns to these larger portfolio brands because of the history and the stability and the consistency. And so you know we've had a lot of producers reach out to us like saying. We're nervous, right? We're a, we're a craft brewery. We don't know if we'll survive. But I personally haven't seen as much fur for the world of craft as I have in the last 10 years. And there seems to be – I just don't see that disappearing overnight. And so I'm curious what you think as well, especially as someone who now runs a company that supports these brands that you know have the stories and the founders still involved. Is this kind of assumption people are making bullshit? Like, is is this true? What do you think? I, I think it, I think it's a great question. I think it's the sixty four million dollar question. Um, <laughs> what I know what I know is the following. Um, first of all, in all recessions, uh, premium super premium products uh, suffer. So it's not craft per se as a concept that suffers. And in the last recession, there was really not much of a craft spirits category. There were a few early early um, brands, but what we think of as being some of the big brands in craft weren't around. Uh, 10 years ago. Um, so in the last recession, it was really a, just a, a, about price points. And I think that will probably be some ex to some extent true. So to say that craft brands suffer in a recession is really factually incorrect. Nobody knows because there wasn't a craft segment in spirits uh, 10 years ago to, to suffer. I think that um, there's going to be a shakeout. Um, but I think that that's one of the immutable laws of nature, because it, just like any any set of brands, whether they're quote unquote craft or anything else, if we're very honest, there are some really good ones, some a lot of okay ones, and some other some that are a bit crappy. And when I say a bit crappy, I mean that unfortunately don't really have a very good liquid or have a very uninteresting emotional wrapper. Because I think in order to connect with consumers, you need both. And that's what's interesting to me about craft, is having really brilliant, different and engaging liquids that tell a story that the big guys can't tell, but you need to have an emotional wrapper around it. You need to have a story about the brand's foundation and where it comes from and who created it and how they created it. 
that's engaging as well because people want that. They don't just want the liquid side. And those kind of brands will be just fine. Um, they may suffer because of the downturn in premium or super premium purchasing, but they'll be just fine in the long run because those are still the kind of brands that consumers want to engage in. And that's logical because over the last 10 years, consumer habits have changed significantly in the favor of what I term more interesting brands at the end of the day. And it's not just in spirit. It's in everything from yogurts to breakfast cereal you know, to cars. So I think this is part of a much deeper movement. People are looking for things that are authentic, that help them differentiate, uh, that tell them stories that reverberate with them and that are well and thoughtfully marketed. And that's not going away as, as the big picture trend. But will there be a shakeout and will there be fewer brands on the shelf? Yes, that unfortunately is the Darwinian part of this where the most fit for purpose will survive and some of the others unfortunately may not. Well, I really appreciate that answer. Um, it gives me a lot to think about. And while it's not, <laughs> you know, the the answer I think everyone wants to hear, I think it is the reality. So Robert, thank you so much for taking this time with me today to sort of chat about your thoughts on, on the industry and how we're moving it forward. I really appreciate it. Adam, it's been great uh, talking to you. Thank you very much for, uh, for the chat and have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to the Bind Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Bind Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Eric Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vinepair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vinepair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.